Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of the Corecast. I am your host, as always, Richard Rabkin, the Managing Director of the COR. I have a very special guest here. I have the guru himself, Mr. Shlomo Asai. Shlomo, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Okay, now you are the guru. For those of you, those people that don't know the guru, I'm sure there are only a few of them. Please explain who the guru is and what it is. So the Toronto's Kosher Guru came about. Um, we formed a group on Facebook um, two years ago, and basically it was a place for Canadians, Toronto mainly, for people to go and showcase products or anything to do with kosher. Just a forum to have discussions and specials and to put up flash sales and all kinds of deals and updates in the kosher Toronto world. Amazing. And I know it's very, very popular. Lots of people are on it and lots of people um, talk to one another, as you said. Now, just so I get all the terminology straight. So the group is called Toronto's Kosher Guru? On Facebook, it's called Speedy Meaty T.O.'s Kosher Guru. Okay, Speedy Meaty Tio's Kosher Guru. Okay, well, well, could we call it the the Toronto Kosher Guru? Okay, and that means you are the guru, is that right? That's what they say. Okay, you're the guru. So people want to look you up and find you. That's how they can find you on Facebook. How many um, members of the group are there right now? Um, Right now we are over 8,600 members. Wow. And growing daily. Wow, that's amazing. So, so talk to us a little bit about the group. So what happens? What, what could be some posts that people might post and, and how does the conversation look? Um, for example, somebody just posted that one of the supermarkets has Kedem grape juice at three forty seven, which is about almost 50% discounted off the regular price. So now people in the group see that. They'll either go and buy it or they'll discuss it. Or other stores, what happens sometimes is other stores might come and match it and just get a, we had a big cheese war last year where there was a um, supermarket that had a um, two pound bag of cheese at $9.99 shredded cheese. Usually it's $16.99. Um, another local supermarket saw it and they put it at $8.99. Uh, another supermarket saw that, posted it at $5.99, and at the end of the day, someone put it at $4.99. So you have a product from $16.99, went down to $4.99, everyone's running around, buying up, freezing it, and everyone saved money, and a lot of promotion, a lot of advertising got done through that one item, and you know, the Jewish, helped the Jewish community save money, and people are happy. That's really amazing, actually, that example that you gave. And one of the things um, that I got some feedback, you know, we had a, a core cast that you put on the Guru uh, recently, which was the topic of, is COR responsible for the cost of kosher food? And one of the feed pieces of feedback that I got was, well, okay, so you've explained, Richard, that it's not, you know, as a result of COR, uh, but well, what can we do about it, right? So so fine, if it's not COR, what can we do? Because people do feel like there is an additional cost to kosher food. And so the, the thought that I had was, first of all, the first thought that I had was, I can't believe people are actually listening to the Corecast. That was amazing. The second thought that I had was, you know what I think the answer is? I think the answer is the guru. Uh, the the fact that people are on the in the group and they're posting about prices that they see 
And so then, you know, the different retailers see opportunities to engage with consumers and, you know, they want to be as cost competitive as possible. I, I think I really think that that is one of the best things that people can do. So, I, I, you know, a tremendous yashikoch to you. Do, you. do you definitely feel that, that there is that sense of community and and looking out for, for the cost of, of kosher where people are looking out for one another posting, I got, you know, there's a sale here, there's a sale there? Yeah, 100%. And now it's being used more. A lot of the grocery stores are coming and sending in their weekly specials to for the group to see since it's pretty much all kosher group and there's only kosher food and it's all day long. Um, and it's for restaurants as well. That's People go out and post about their experiences and their feedback and they post pictures. So, you you know, like I've learned a lot of things about some restaurants that carry dishes that I would have never thought they had. And someone went, posted a picture, and now I want to go and try it. And that's what the group's about, just getting kosher awareness out there for everyone to see and enjoy. What are some interesting posts? Could you think of any that, that were different or um, interesting that come to mind? Um, a lot of the posts that create discussions are always interesting. Because you know we have all kinds of people on the group, and it's not it's not per se a religious group, so we can have from all kinds of people on the group, and it's just some nice discussions. And as long as everyone's respectful, and no one's there to hurt anyone's business, we're just there to promote. And there's a lot of lively discussions that go on on the group. A lot of those lively discussions I notice involve COR. Um, they do at times. <laughs> So it's interesting, you know, some of the of those discussions, it seems to me, can be based on some um, misinformation. So I just noticed one about Costco, for example. So there was a discussion about Costco, the fact that, you know, some of the Costco bakeries in, in, New, in the New York area are under uh, Hashgacha there. So there's a question of why it wasn't done in Toronto. And so somebody said because COR won't allow them. Another person said, you know, Costco used to be under COR, but the Costco dropped it because it was very expensive. So um, I'll set the record straight here with the guru, if I can. So the answer to the question is, number one, Costco was never under COR certification, ever. And number two, it's not kosher uh, certified here in Toronto because Costco never asked us. We never got an application from them. And I guess they didn't get an application because they haven't felt the real consumer demand. So I suppose if people in the Guru Nation wanted to get the Costco uh, industrial bakery there uh, certified, then you know that's probably a demand that should come from, from consumers. But certainly at the COR level, we never turned down the application because we never got one. Um, and I noticed that you do... Uh, tag us if there are questions from people from time to time? Yes, um, whenever there's an issue that I think um, is important, like we had an apple pie issue last week that one of our members brought up where they were taking COR apple pies out of boxes and warming them up and putting them back in the same boxes. And I tagged you and thank you for always responding right away because, you know, it saves a lot of people not eating kosher, etc. Thanks to, to you, to the Guru Nation, actually. When people ask me um, how many mashkichim do COR employ, I always say we have a few thousand mashkichim. And, you know, after people get used to the, the number, I say, you know, it's not just the ones that we have on staff. 
it's the thousands, you know, tens of thousands of kosher consumers who are out there. So special shout out to Samantha Eisenberg. I believe it was her who spotted the Chudley's pie issue. But to, to all, you know, all the kosher consumers out there, we're always here. And if you notice something that looks amiss, you can contact us either through our Facebook page or questions at cor.ca or call, call the office or, or anything like that. Um, okay, so, you know, seeing as though I have a special privilege of having the guru here with us in the COR office on the Corecast, I thought we would talk about restaurants, kosher restaurants, right? That's a, that is a pretty exciting topic for people. So l- let's talk a little bit about restaurants. Maybe you can talk for, for a second about what things do you like most? And you don't have to say names, but I guess you can if you like. It's up to you. But in general, what are some of the things that you think work really well here in Toronto? Um, I think when people are creative, I think um, when they don't knock each other off and they come up with creative ideas, new menu items. Um, at the end of the day, Toronto is a city where, you know, with all the tuition fees and all the high living expenses that we have, it's hard to get out there often. Um, so when people do go out, they're really looking to see where they spend their buck. And, you know, if it's if they go to a place that's cost effective, it's something good, something different, then people are willing to try and willing to spend. Um, and that's the way our market is. This is not New York or LA where, you know, it's a completely different market. And that's what we deal with. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit because this is often, you know, Shabbat table conversation as to why there are more restaurants in Toronto, why why there aren't like other cities and, and all, all sorts of things like that. And why do re- kosher restaurants close? And I guess there's a perception that kosher restaurants close very frequently. So I wanted to get your opinion um, on why you think it is that, uh, well, it appears that it's tough for a kosher restaurant to make it here in Toronto. Um, like I said, it's very expensive to live in Toronto, especially you know if your kids go to private schools, you've got all these tuitions, you have school fees. So when you're going out, you're very mindful of where you're going to spend your money. And you want to go where you have a good experience, where the owners, you know, they're happy to see you and there's great customer service. And you feel appreciated and, you know, they appreciate you spending the money with them. If you go to a place where, you know, the owner feels like they're doing you a favor by coming, then eventually they lose out where the customer just doesn't feel good about going there and stops going there. Right. So I have some uh, statistics here that I, I thought would be interesting. The first thing is there was apparently um, a study by Ohio State University on restaurants and failed restaurants that's quoted quite frequently. And it said that 60% don't make it past the first year and 80% go under in five years. That's obviously with respect to non-kosher restaurants. So I think that probably the trend is similar in kosher restaurants that it's just it's a tough business in the restaurant business in general so i mean do you do you see that do you i mean probably in your line of work you have connections with the restaurant owners do you see that that, that they have just a tough time running the business in general it's very tough i've had my own restaurant about 16 years ago called wasabis um and i went through it and that's why also this group we did it so people can have a place where they can promote themselves and promote new products or new menus. 
it's hard to go and advertise in a newspaper or advertise on the radio. It's very expensive. And this way, you know, it's a better avenue and a cheaper avenue for them to go and get the word out on their businesses. Because at the end of the day, you have to be in people's faces. You got to get your name out there. Corporate does it where the big companies, they don't need to do it, but they still go out there and they still spend millions of dollars a year promoting themselves because you always have to be in people's heads. And what is it specifically that's difficult about running a kosher re- or a restaurant in general? But I guess a kosher restaurant, like well, obviously is, is, you, you know, your staff is it, obviously a lot of people. I would imagine good staff is is big. Closing on Fridays and Shabbat is huge. Um, but those are the two. Like you know, if you can get your staff down pat and people feel comfortable going and they feel respected and. You know, when there's an issue, it gets taken care of, which I have to do deal with every day where I have to sometimes, you know, call an owner and tell them this is the problem that we have. And most owners, you know, 90% of the owners are happy to hear from me and are happy to deal with it. And that's how we try to help people too. We don't want people going out there on social and posting negative reviews about businesses because you can hurt their business. And if there's an issue, you know, the first step is always talk to the owner when you're in the restaurant if you have a problem. If they're not there, then, you know, you can always message me and I will get in contact with the owner. But, the, you know, social media should not be a place to go and put, you know, to hurt someone's business. You know, if you really had an issue, we'll take care of it. I think that's beautiful, actually, you know, because that shows the the Jewish element of this group that, you know, trying to respect boundaries of Lashon Hara and, and other things that, that this shows really that the group is trying to foster the kosher community and you want it to flourish. You don't want to, to hurt anybody. So that, that's um, So I just want to point something out here because there um, that that misconception that I that I mentioned at the beginning that there are a lot of kosher restaurants closing and that there's a trend downward. So that I think is is incorrect because you know kosher restaurants are opening and closing as do many other restaurants so the trend lines have been up you know in the 1980s i think that there were 20 kosher restaurants in the 90s there were the 30s and each year we do find that that net you know it goes up about one or two total restaurants so in 2011 there was 44 2012 there's 45 2013 there's 46 and so on so the the even though some of our favorite restaurants do open and close unfortunately there are new ones that open and so the trend line does does go up um and so so okay let's drill down a little bit in terms of what it is that could cause a restaurant to be unsuccessful and obviously you've mentioned some of them but the so one i think is that we don't really have as much of a culture of going out to eat in toronto as we do see in other cities you know i see in other other cities people go out a fair bit or even late at night the restaurants are open do you think that's true number one and number two why is it it's a hundred percent true um firstly when you go through you know six months of winter after a long day people get home they're just too tired to go out Um, when you're in miami the weather's nice it's sunny just makes you feel different um so that's it's huge. Um, New York, where the way the city's built, and for example, Manhattan, where a lot of the apartments don't even have kitchens, and that's just the lifestyle where you go to work after work, you go out for a drink or for dinner, you go to a show. That's just the way they live there, and that's why they're so much busier. Um, another big thing I noticed when I had my restaurant, and I noticed it today, for example, and if you take Montreal, for example, you go to Montreal, um, the percentage of religious people in the kosher restaurants is a lot smaller than here. 
In Toronto, I find that a lot of the non-religious Jewish people don't go to the kosher restaurants. They'll go out, they'll eat pasta, fish in non-kosher places, but they will not go to kosher restaurants. Whereas you go to Montreal, you'll find very little kippahs in the restaurants, and the non-religious people go and eat kosher in the restaurants. So I think that's a huge difference as well. So you think that that's a, a formula for success if a, if a kosher restaurant is able to basically pull in the, the non-religious crowd or and even the non-Jewish, non-Jewish crowd, right? Yes. Okay. The non-Jewish is huge. If you can, you know, you guys got to be a certain kind of level that you can attain to get the non-Jewish customer to come in. But the non-religious, you know, if the non-religious people would go and support the kosher restaurants, then it would make a huge difference. Okay, so here you go. We have a message coming from the Corecast to the wider Jewish community. We're calling you to support kosher restaurants, even if you don't necessarily keep strictly kosher at home. Please go out as much as you can, you know, Sunday dinner with Bubby and Zadie. It doesn't have to be um, at you know at home, or perhaps it doesn't have to be at a non-kosher restaurant. Let's choose a kosher restaurant, and you know, and we'll all be happy. Um, okay, what about the the things that happen in Miami and, and LA or New York, as you mentioned? Like, but there's the different culture. But one of the things that I've heard people say is that they're just more tourists. And so because, you know, like, let's say, for example, when I go away for a few days to Miami or, or, or New York or wherever, so when you're a tourist, right, you basically need to go out and eat every meal. But when, so, so you have, let's say if you go away for four days and you ate uh, two meals a day out, so you just ate eight times out, but in back home, let's say maybe you only go out once a month or something like that, if that, and so maybe you only go out eight times a whole year. And it's true. And when you're on vacation, you're you're you just think differently and you act differently than when you're in your regular day-to-day life. Um, so that makes a huge difference. Um, as well, part of the part of the big reason of this group is to put Toronto on a map. So now we have you know people from out of town that are coming into Toronto, and they'll message me or they'll post on the group. You know, where should I go? I'm coming in for two days. Where can I get good dairy? Where can I get good meat? Where can I find a fancy place, a fast food place? And that's what we want to turn the group into, where, you know, we put ourselves on the map, where people want to go to come to Toronto and try our restaurants, because they see on social media the, you know, the kinds of restaurants we have, the kinds of good food we have, and, you know, just put ourselves on the map for once. That's great. So what kind of positive feedback, are, are you getting feedback then from those people who come in and go to certain restaurants or try things, and they say, hey, I really liked XYZ? A hundred percent, because they come back to the group and they'll post pictures. And that's what people want to see. People want to see pictures and experiences, you know, when they go out to these restaurants. So they come from out of town, they'll come back, and as a thank you, they'll post pictures for all the information that they got from us. Interesting. What is that? Can you explain that to me? I guess I'm not as much of a social media guru as you are, but you're the guru after all. But I don't really understand the taking pictures of the food. I would not think in a 100 years that I'm in a restaurant, I'm going to take a picture of my food and put it on on Facebook. So I'm, I'm, no, no offense to, to anybody who does it. Just can you, yeah, okay. Just can you explain that to us? It, it's pure advertising, and it happens to all of us. Where you see a picture of something and you want to go and buy it or you want to try it, it's all about advertising, all about marketing. When I see a picture of something good, I want to go to that restaurant and try it. It entices you to go and try it, and that's what it's about. Just post pictures up there so people can see what's going on in the kosher world, 
and it just entices the consumers to go and buy that product. But what makes you as that person to say, I, I want to take a picture of this food? Is it because you, you had such a great experience and you want to share it with your friends? Or it could be the experience. It could be it's something different. It could be just the way it looks and you just want to show people what you had or what they're serving you. It could be all kinds of reasons. It's whether And it works with the same thing with a car. When people see a car in an advertisement, you know, it entices them. They want to go buy the car or a new phone or whatever product that might be, you know, selling to them. That's what entices the consumer. So it's the same thing with food. You post nice pictures, people want to go and try the food out in that restaurant. Okay, proprietors, you heard it from the, from the guru. This is, uh, we're getting a, a class. This is Social Media 101. Um, okay, now, so, so let's talk a little bit about what happens in other cities. So I don't know if you travel or, or maybe you just see it through the group, but what's happening in, whether it's Miami or L.A. or New York or Israel, what types of trends do you see out there? What type of restaurants do people like? What, what's um, There's a lot of, um, for example, in New York, there's a bunch of new higher-end meat restaurants that have come up in the last few months. Um, Miami, a couple closed, but there's a lot of them. The big trend right now is smokehouses. Um, for example, in Miami, Fuego just opened the brand new, they have the restaurant and they just opened and started doing smoking. You have Izzy's in New York, that's amazing, Izzy's Barbecue. I've been there a couple of times and whoever likes barbecue or smoked meats, you gotta check out Izzy's. Um, there's another place that just opened called Main House Barbecue in New York as well. And as well, they'll have all kinds of different smoked meat, ribs, briskets, whatever it may be. That's the new trend this year is smoked. Do those restaurants come with defibrillators? Like when you go there, is, is that, I mean, I feel like, you know, my father's a cardiologist. So I, I think that he probably would, maybe he wouldn't like the, the guru group. Hey, there's nothing wrong with lean briskets. You know, lean meats is, you know, smoked. It's just... There's nothing wrong with that. It's all healthy proteins. That's right. It's, it's all good. It's all in the Atkins diet. Okay, you can eat as much as you want. Um, and, and what do you think about bringing some of those types of trends to Toronto? Uh, is that something that's feasible or, or just because of the way that we uh, go out to eat, it's not the same? It's not the same, unfortunately, right now. Hopefully, it will change down the road with more awareness. But right now in Toronto, it's very difficult to bring in a new concept and to be able to succeed with it. Um, we don't go out as often as they do. Um, we don't spend as much money as they do. And it's just a very tough market in Toronto. I mean, hopefully with all the kosher awareness that we can bring to the city, hopefully, you know, with the tourists coming out here, um, we can grow it. But it's much harder than New York where they're pulling out of you know, huge numbers, whether it's kosher or non-kosher customers, and it's a completely different ballgame. Right. Um, okay, so, you know, there was one more thing that we didn't address when we were talking about the issues that a kosher restaurant might have or might contribute to, to its, its faltering, and certainly one of the con misconceptions out there is that it's a COR fee. So I know that I talked about that on the Corecast, that um, was called the the cost of is your uh, responsible for the high cost of kosher, but I just wanted to address it again very quickly. That if you are a restaurant, most of the restaurants have what's called a working meshkiach. That means somebody who is trained by COR and responsible for the kosher program, but they also do other work in the 
restaurants. So, you know, I noticed one of the kosher restaurants is posting for an ad for, for somebody who would take over the CR functions, but it says the duties also include serving the customers, packing the orders, answering the phone, taking customer orders, etc. So you see that this is a person who also contributes to the business. Um, so after you have a working mashkiach, so the charges are from CR are $400 a month. So again, um, in my previous forecast, I talked about this, but if you take that $400 a month and you amortize it over the, your total cost of products. So let's say, for example, you're selling about $100,000 worth a month, right? So let's say we'll just call it pizza and each slice of pizza is $1 just for the sake of argument. So that that COR fee results in 0.4 of a penny into that that piece of pizza, that $1 pizza. So I think that it's probably pretty clear or should be clear that it's not the COR fee that is contributing to, to to the cost, but a lot of the other things that we we spoke about here, you know, the high cost of living and um, some of the other things, obviously, that having to be closed for Shabbat and Jewish holidays. And we did this study called Understanding Kosher Restaurant Costs, and of the total fees uh, sorry, total costs that a restaurant has. So the COR fee is under 1%, right? Obviously, food is their major um, cost, and then there's labor and rent and all those sorts of things. So I, I just wanted to, to throw that out there as well, that it's not, um, you know, the COR fee, obviously, the $400 a month is not a major contributor. So in having that said, you know, what about, what types of trends would you think people want to see here in Toronto. So you talked about the fact that there's some exciting things that are happening in New York and Miami and elsewhere, but what do you, what feedback do you hear? Because I, I, I see that you did a couple polls on the guru saying, what would you like most, you know, what do you, what feedback do you get from people? Um, number one feedback is Indian food. Um, people just want Indian food. They don't care if it's dairy or meat. But that's been the number one. And we did, uh, we work, you know, we try to work with caterers on different events. So we worked with uh, Metsuyan Kosher Catering and we did an Indian pop up. So we had uh, 180 people that came out to that event for Indian night and they had an Indian chef and it was an Indian buffet. Um, we w- Hang on a second. For our listeners who don't know, explain to us what a pop up is. A pop-up is where, for example, when we worked with Mitsuyan Kosher Catering, they we take they take their hall and they come up with an Indian menu, and you you pay a flat fee, whatever it is, and you go to to that to that hall for that one night, and it's a pop-up where it's a restaurant. They turn it into a restaurant. You have tables, chairs, their service. You have a buffet. You go in and you just enjoy the night, and it's just there for one night. Oh, so just one night. It's not they, they won't do it a week or no. We've done with um, Tierra. We did a couple of pop-ups where people were asking for buffets. There's no kosher buffet restaurants in Toronto, and since King Solomon's closed, it's people you know Jews like buffets. So Tierra. Why did Jews like buffets? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they think they're getting, I guess, more value for their money, uh, more options. You know, you don't get stuck with just one dish. You can try different foods. My, my bubby loved buffets. She would bring her purse with her. It's a long story, yeah, but yeah. she loved them. So we did it with Tierra, and we had um, 230 people that came out, and we had two seatings, and yeah, people really liked it. So you know, Moroccan theme is another one that has come up. So we're trying to work on that, where we'll have a Moroccan night, um, just different Moroccan 
you know, specialties that people can try, especially the Ashkenazim, they love Moroccan food that they don't usually get it. Um, so it's something, you know, it's just different. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great option too, because, you know, if it's only, I guess, once in a while, so it might get a little bit of buzz, a little excitement, and then you don't have, the restaurant owner doesn't have the costs of sinking in, um, you know, basically starting a new restaurant. But I, I certainly would be interested in an Indian restaurant. I grew up in Vancouver, so um, we, you know, we had a lot. We, we had a kosher Indian restaurant, I remember, uh, back back then, and it was really great. Um, so, okay. And, and any other trends that you, that you think you see people would really want to see? I mean, the, those were the biggest ones. And I guess right now in Toronto, it's, you know, that's what we need to, you know, we get away once in a while and try and see what else is going on out there. And hopefully someone comes here and, you know, opens up a place here for us. And, you know, hopefully they'll be successful. Okay, great. Well, listen, I just want to close with one more comment, which is anybody who's listening out there in cyberspace or anyone certainly who's on the Guru, uh, feel free to contact COR at any time. You can either contact us, questions at COR.ca. You can call the office. You can speak to either myself, Richard Rapkin, Rabbi Haber. There's Rabbi Rosen. Um, we have the text to question service uh, that Rabbi Rosen answers, and I think that people will get answers really quickly. Um, so, so you know, if there's ever a question that people have, feel free. We're always here to answer your questions. Thank you for your time. Okay. Appreciate Thank you to Shlomo Asayag, the guru. Thanks very much for coming on the Corecast. Guru out.